Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello. Um, today is February 13th. Um, we have what I think is a really good episode for you guys today. Um, we're going to be talking about a few different things to start, and then we have our first ever guest interview. Woo! Um, we have interviewed uh, Lily Anderson, and that goes for about 30 minutes at the end of the show, and we're really excited to bring that to you guys. But uh, first, why don't we get to kind of the basics, huh? Yes, absolutely. Next Thursday, February 23rd, is our monthly first pages episode. So you have to be a Patreon subscriber to get access to these. And also, if you want us to critique your first page, email it to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Also, um, after this episode, look for the giveaway that we're going to be doing for a signed copy of The Only Thing Worse Than Me Is You, which is Lily's first book. So that's really exciting. We're very pleased about it. I think it's a great book. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Says the agent uh, of the book. I um, did. I sold it. I think it's lovely. <laughs> so you should want it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I'm I'm just really excited about the interview uh, that we did. Um, and we're excited to bring it to you guys. But uh, so... We've got a few little newsy things uh, before we get to that, yep. huh? First so. is the new installment <laughs> of Print Run's reading series. Mm -hmm. So the the article that we'll be reading for you today is an article published by The Daily Mail, which, if you're not familiar, is a British news publication. It's like basically – I was going to say it's basically a tabloid. But, but it actually it, reports on some yeah, other yeah, stuff Yeah, So too. it's like one of those weird middle things. But anyway – yeah, so, we so we were going to use somebody else's, <clears throat> mostly The Guardian's uh, article yeah. about this event, but it turns out the the, the Daily Mo News broke it – Daily Mail uh -huh. – Daily Mail <laughs> broke it first. Uh, yeah. And that's important because pretty much we uh, – The Guardian is the best place for news and we need to branch out because – The Guardian does have the best they book They do. News. And I, I, I don't know. Like you go on these other sites – and it's like, you know, all this like boring stuff about like publishers decides to like do more middle grade in 2018. It's like, well, that's not very exciting to talk about. And then you get to The Guardian and it's like people are like suing each other and people are going to jail. And like, you know, here, obviously, this thing is nuts. Let's just not. <laughs> yeah. So let's just get right into it. Yeah, so, yeah. OK, so yeah. this this is the Daily Mail who broke it. But we found it through The Guardian because let's be honest, they're funny. So here's, here's the title of this article. Mission Impossible Raiders, two million pound heist in the great book robbery. How a gang abseiled 40 feet down into a warehouse and stole 160 of the world's rarest books. <laughs> Hell yeah. So <laughs> they're calling this robbery of books from a warehouse, a Mission Impossible type great book robbery. Great book robbery is uh, all capitalized. Okay, so um, yeah, get, get us into it. Let's let's get the details here. A gang has stolen antiquarian books worth more than two million pounds, which is about three million dollars. After evading a complex security system by abseiling into a warehouse in a daring Mission Impossible style heist. I Googled it. It turns out abseiling is yeah, just Yeah, what does that the, word mean? So it turns out that that is the British way of saying repel. Mm. So okay. it really was Mission Impossible so style. They just, like, like they came through the ceiling. 
Hmm. They okay. came through the ceiling. To get the books. All right. So. To get the books. Three raiders climbed onto a roof, bored holes through reinforced glass fiber skylights, and descended 40 feet, feet on ropes like commandos, somehow avoiding sophisticated motion sensor alarms. <laughs> so, okay, so first of all, this is the best book news story ever um, for any number of reasons that we already have. But also, how in the hell do they know this? Like, we've got the whole crime, like, figured out cinematically. We are getting there. <laughs> okay. We are getting there. Um, okay. But I think the clear answer is uh, they already made it into a movie. Yeah, I was going to say, this is like a... Mission Impossible. What did they steal? Are we going to learn that too? Yes. Okay, good. That's what the article is for. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. <laughs> they escaped with more than 160 books, many from the 15th and 16th centuries, that were being stored in a warehouse near Heathrow before being flown to the United States. So they waited and robbed these in transit. They mm -hmm. didn't even just go get them from when they're mm -hmm. supposed to be. Yeah. This really this was a is, heist. This yeah. really is a heist. Yeah. In an astonishing display of audacity. <laughs> Hold on. So what's good about what's good about that is the writer of this is like clearly like sucked in. Like he is rooting <laughs> for the robbers at this point. He's like writing his new story and he is absolutely on team heist. Aren't you? Well, absolutely, but my job isn't to report the news. <laughs> um, this is good. No, this is good. Let's get back to the story. In an astonishing display of audacity, they are thought to have spent several hours in the warehouse. Experts, experts say the, quote, jewel in the hall was a 1566 copy of the of De Revolutionibus Oribum Col... Someone doesn't know their Latin. Shut up. <laughs> Colestium by astronomer Nicholas Copernicus, worth an estimated 215,000 pounds. It contains his theory that the sun is the center of the universe. Spoiler alert, he was right. <laughs> Brian Lake of the Antiquarian Booksellers Association said, quote, quite honestly, I have never heard of a heist like this involving <clears throat> books. It is extraordinary. Nothing like this has hit the rare books trade before. Everyone is into it. Everyone. Even the people who, like, got robbed are stoked about this. Like, everyone is just happy to have been a part of, like, the Italian job here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there were also early works by Italian scientists Galileo, Isaac Newton, Leonardo da Vinci, and a 1569 edition of Dante's Divine Comedy. Is Tom Hanks going to make a yeah. movie of this where he, like, goes into the bottom of the Louvre and, like, finds these? Because that'd be great. We're, I'm trying to think. Like, this is a very British story, too. Like, I feel like so they've, got, they've got, like, better rare books over there. I don't know. Well, these books were on their way to America. They were yeah. on the way to a California trade, like, a, tr a show. There's no – yeah, I guess that's true. There's no real way to do this in an American version that doesn't involve like Nicolas Cage stealing the Declaration of Independence and national treasure, right? or like That's a or like, like a basically. fight in Las Vegas, like Ocean's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Eleven. Yeah, um, so, we're gonna we're gonna get to the end of all of the heist movies by the time we're done with this article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Experts have been trying to fathom out what the gang might do with the books. They believe the most likely scenario is that they were stolen to order. Oh, so that means that we've got like one evil there's dude. Like, there's like one like shady. I feel like that's like the guy who orders the books like to be stolen on his behalf. That's who I picture in like James Bond. in like romance novels. Oh, really? Like when it's like <laughs> the rich like the rich billionaire trope, you know, in those books. 
Like that's who I'm picturing is like the guy who's like got um and he's robbers got a secret on. room that yeah, when yeah, he comes yeah, he home like at midnight them. after an event, he just pours himself some scotch right. and he just yeah. sits and looks at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's kind of what I figure. But one source familiar with the case said they would be impossible to sell to any reputable dealer or auction house. We're not talking Picassos or Rembrandts or even gold bars. These books would be impossible to fence. It must be for someone specialist. There must be a collector behind it. The books belong to three different dealers working at the very top of the market, and altogether they form a fantastic collection. Okay, so <laughs> before before you go any further, and we should we should send this out when we release the episode. Um, there's a really awesome chart. There's like a diagram of the heist that the Daily Mail has put together for <laughs> us that involves. It's got like the five steps of how they do it, and it's got like. Um, little cartoon drawings of robbers like look like rappelling in the ceiling and stuff. Well, this is the best news site ever. It's just <laughs> the only place I'm. <laughs> There's like a like num- the number two bullet point here is like got this little man like falling through a window and it's like they drop down commando style. Man, this is like yeah, this is fun. I, this commando is style. I was considering to be something completely yeah, 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 different. Yeah, no, To be co- something completely different. A dealer in ba- based in Padua, Italy, who lost 680,000 pounds worth of books in the raid, including the Copernicus, said, It was clearly a robbery done to order. It was a specialized gang. They took only books, nothing else. I Why don't not just like, steal some other shit while you're there? I don't know. Well, I they, guess maybe there well, wasn't that much there. other stuff. To, yeah. Quote, I don't know how they knew we were that they were there. Maybe they hacked our email. Oh, <laughs> it's always hacking. Yeah, that feels that feels like mostly just like trying to tap into whatever the funny thing to say is at a while. Police. Like if this had happened like a few years ago, they'd be like, "It was like Benghazi." Like, <laughs> like, but it's still like Benghazi. That that was inappropriate, and I apologize. Um, continue. Police said the raiders struck in Felton, Middlesex in the early hours of January 30th. Inside, they were seen on CCTV, ignoring expensive electrical goods and instead making straight for the six sealed metal trunks containing the books. They were being held at the depot ahead, ahead of this weekend's 50th California International Antiquarian Book Fair. Four containers were prized open, and one source said the raiders checked the books against stock lists. How, again, this feels like this story has been given to us by the raiders or something, as though for like their own press. Like they, how do they know every single little detail here? Throwing the ones they didn't want away—that seems very rude. Yeah, it seems very rude. So anyway, I mean, I don't. You know, we can skip the rest of this, but like, um, actually, no. I want to get to the very last line here, where it says. The Met Police confirmed the theft and appealed for information. So you can, like, call in with tips about this. You should this just is, like, call ongoing. the Daily Mail. Yeah, they yeah, yeah, clearly no, know everything. Yeah, we should draft a note to them and talk about so, how we would love to have them on the show because I want our next interview to be with the people whose job it is to, like, stop the book thieves. Or actually, even better, the book thieves. I was just kind of assuming we wouldn't get them. Here's but. my favorite part of this article. <laughs> London has become a major center for the illicit trade in manuscripts and historic books with dozens of works being recovered by police. Scientific works are particularly in demand, leading to speculation that an individual collector dubbed the astronomer by investigators. His name is the astronomer. <laughs> Damn. This has, is I entered the long line of, I entered the wrong line of work. I should have been a book thief? like some sort of like criminal where I could have a cool name. I don't get to have anything. I'll here. call you the astronomer. I have to like sign my names with like a long signature with a bunch of contact. Yeah, no, I want to be something cool. 
I don't know what I would be, though. We can come up with that, I guess. The astronomer has been commissioning thefts by, of works by Copernicus and Ptolemy, the Greek astronomer. Um, yeah. So basically, that's it. But the astronomer strikes again. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of his work. Um, he open invitation, uh, friend of the podcast, the, <laughs> the astronomer. <laughs> if he wants to come on, uh, we'd be happy to have him. Um, we could do like one of those like voice things, you know? Yeah, where it's like we have the technology to do that. Yeah, we we had our first guest via Skype, so clearly the next step yeah. is that we can do voice modulation for an international just, book thief. Just wanted criminals. Yeah, that's what I feel like. We went from <laughs> we went from uh, you know. Authors and librarians uh, straight to, like, thieves. So this next bit, this next thing we have, um, it made me it made me laugh and then it made me kind of cringe a little bit. But um, we have here uh, two 16-year-old and, se- uh, and a 17-year-old um, who got up to some trouble. They vandalized, you know, they vandalized the school, basically, is the situation here. They painted it with racist, sexist, and anti-Semitic symbols. Um, and obviously that got them in trouble. It got them in front of a judge. And do you know what the, do you know what the punishment was? Tell me, Eric. <laughs> what was the punishment? <laughs> well, uh, they were assigned a reading list. They were assigned a reading list of books. Were they? This is what we, this is what we do now. Um, so I just like to th- – I want to get the judges um, – the, Wait, the, first of all, what did they draw? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's make sure we do that because um, let's see. We've got the boys drew various symbols such as swastikas, sexual explicit pictures, and the words white power and brown power, which is interesting. I feel like, mm. you know, that's kind of – it's a very pluralist message from these <laughs> Along with – and this is actually – this is honestly the kicker. Um, along with drawings of dinosaurs. <laughs> So do you know what? Th- <laughs> so um, dinosaurs. We're not really on like the crime beat here on Print Run, but the reason this uh, made it onto our radar is because they were assigned rather than like I don't know community com- service. Yeah, community service. You know, they're they're seventeen, so like you can't really like you know, and you shouldn't want to like throw them in jail or anything like that, but. Um, they were assigned a reading list, and the point was that they were like dumb kids, so we better just make them read read some books. And so they got a list of 35 books and 14 movies, um, including The Color Purple, um, Night by Eli Wiesel, and uh, The Bluest Eye from Toni Morrison. Um, movies on the list were 12 Years a Slave and Lincoln, um, important books and movies that deal with race, gender, religion, and war. Um, so basically these kids like drew swastikas all over a church and then got like told that as punishment they have to like go sit and read the kite runner. <laughs> well, to be fair, like, to be fair, it was a historic schoolhouse that was used to educate like black children back in the day. Right. So, but like, but yes. I don't know. I don't know what's fair about that. To me, that just it's like that maybe there should have worse. been some. Yeah, it, there should have been like I, I can't imagine this being meted out as like a real punishment for something. Like this is how we're ending racism now. It's like when somebody like screws up on you know in any form of literary Twitter and they say something like nasty about women. Like the next thing they always tweet is like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm only going to read female authors in 2017. And it's like this is the dumbest shit you've ever heard. Do you know what um, the worst part about yeah, this, this list is? This is basically that. This is basically enforced like Twitter do better. But do you know what the worst part is? What? 
Frederick Douglass isn't on here, and we all know that he's doing great things right now. Oh yeah, he is getting noticed more and more. Yeah, and was... he's not on this list. I feel like he should be. Um, yeah, there's some. There's some, obviously it's a good list of it's a good list of books, but like when when did it become punishment? To like have to sit and read good books. Yeah, it's like I would. I want to. I'm gonna read this list of books just because it sounds interesting. Like a lot of there's, or I have. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on here, but I just think it's kind of funny that we've reached a point now with this stuff where, you know, it, this doesn't rankle you at all because to me, the idea of a reading list as like a proper response to. Um, like hate fueled vandalism on, in a community seems seems a little strange to me, but yeah, I mean, I think okay, so they have to write book reports, which I feel is better than just making them <laughs> which, read it. Which, to be fair, is worse than the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're more than five paragraphs. Um, yeah. so I feel like that's better than just having to read it because if they're just having you read it, they're just going to rush through it. But if they actually have to, you know, consider the material, but also like. The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lack should be something that people read because they, you know, they want to engage with it, not because they, like, drew a dick in a dinosaur in a historic that landmark. That is a, what a funny connection of things, too, by the way. <laughs> uh, we've got, like, you know, this guy, <laughs> this guy's, like, you know, like, mid-swastika and is like, you know what this needs? And then he, like, he's, like stops for a sec to, like, get the triceratops out there. It's like, man, I don't know. It's, to me... It's just I don't I mean I don't know I don't have a comment really on whether it's severe or not but what a strange thing have you ever heard of this like I guess we there's a few other instances of like a book list being assigned as punishment but it seems like such a silly thing yeah to like <laughs> I don't know I don't know I mean I understand the impulse but also like these are there's actually five teenagers like these are you know five teenagers white teenage boys who just did something really stupid and like uh, these aren't really consequences it's you know trying to change them but it's you know it's the way that like who's giving them the books like that's what a are, good point like do they get all these books for free like are they getting 35 books like handed to them like this is like the equivalent of the you know the the teen movie where the the geeky sweet girl like changes the quarterback boy like that change is not you yeah know, except with like a T Rex like drawing like <laughs> armbands like. like I don't know I feel like there should be some sort of actual punishment here even though it was just stupid and they didn't know better but like yeah. that's what consequences are and now like I just I'm think it's funny that we're using books to like books to in the court people. of law to like end racism. Yeah. Like, this is what we've decided is, is the answer. Anyway. I don't know. Um, why don't we now go to our interview without further ado? I mean, obviously, we are very excited, one, that we have any guests at all. We were ha very happy to reach this point, but also that we're starting with Lily. Um, she's great. Definitely buy her books, and we think you're going to really like the interview. So uh, have a listen. Welcome, Lily, to Print Run. Hi, guys. Thanks Hello. for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. When we were thinking about guests, it was, well, who flirts with us the most on Twitter? <laughs> Clearly, you know, this I is hope, an easy choice. Yeah, I hope it's no contest. If anyone's flirting with you guys more than me, I have to destroy them. Yeah, those those people those people are blocked. Um, we had to uh, cut. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you were definitely uh, one of the first people we wanted to have on, and we are very excited that you are our first guest. Um, so... Uh, Laura, why don't you why don't you tell us who Lily is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lily Anderson is one of my wonderful authors. 
Um, she is one of probably, I don't know, maybe first three, first four people that I signed. I should know this, but I don't. Lily, do you know? <laughs> I think I'm second or third. You're second I'm definitely or third. not first because I would lord that over people. I know. I'm sorry. <sighs> um, <laughs> so Lily is the author of The Only Thing Worse Than Me Is You from St. Martin's Press, which is now Wednesday Books. Um, and the forthcoming Not Now, Not Ever, which are geeky retellings of Much Ado About Nothing and oh, The fun. Importance of Being Earnest, respectively, set <laughs> in uh, set in high school. So they're basically like mystery, romance, YA things for nerds, but also Shakespeare. Excellent. Was that was that about right? Yeah, that's that's those books slash me in a in a bubble. <laughs> awesome. And Lily is also a librarian. So we're yeah. going to be picking uh, picking her brain about that a little bit. But first, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that it is Valentine's Day. It is. Oh, oh man. It yeah. is Valentine's Day. And that means romance. Specifically, Lily, yours and mine. <laughs> yes, the, the uh, OTP to end all OTPs. Yes. So I feel like... We, you and I have a little bit of a story, and I feel like that story doesn't get told very often, but I think it should. Um, yeah, we met through what is the equivalent of Tinder for agents and authors, which is a combination of Google and Twitter. Um, I was looking for an agent for the third time because I really wanted to be published as a teenager, and that didn't happen, thankfully. Um, so that was the yeah, first yeah, time. So hold on. Actually, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm interested in that. So yeah. when you presumably you had written books as a teenager, or you were yeah. planning to write books as a teenager, and you so you cast about in um, your yeah. search as an angsty teen in search of representation. I sure did. Uh, back <laughs> in back before email queries, I printed out queries and mailed them to people. What? Man. Please yeah. note that I have never seen any of these books. Oh, oh no. no. No, 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 not ever. We'll publish no, them posthumously no. <laughs> once you're like, you know, a member of the you know literary canon and it's really interesting to find your childhood work. We'll make sure that it's like out in the world. Oh, my God. That would be so terrible. Like, <laughs> so, that would just destroy all goodwill for my career. Um, so that was the first but, time. What was the second was the time? time? The second time was like shortly there. I think I queried at 19 and then again at 20. And then finally, it must have been 24 or 25 and wrote a decent book. Mm -hmm. um, it was pretty was, okay. It was all right. Eh. Um, and I was I didn't want to get rejected as much as I had before. So I was like, okay, let's just query like three people. And if they all reject it, it's a terrible book and you can just stop doing this. <laughs> That's crazy that they would have like, what if so they all three had said no and then the world didn't get to see this book that clearly has been published and, yeah. you know, was successful. So but you, they all three said yes. <laughs> so you really? only, wait, wait, <laughs> wow. wait, 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 hold on. I was under the impression that three people <laughs> offered representation to you. Yeah. What? The three people I queried. You were batting a hundred <laughs> yeah, for the third on this time. One book. Wow. Wow. After many, many rejections in the past. Um, yeah, so I found two agents by going like I guess through the other people they managed. Um, and then I I wanted a third because that seemed good. Schoolhouse Rock taught me that three is a magic number. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and so 
I went to Google and <laughs> typed in literary agent and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> did you really? I, I truly did. And uh, that happened to be part of Laura's bio. Yeah, I was going to say, why did you come up for that? Like, because how did I that... love Buffy. And so you just yeah. like put that in your professional copy? Buffy never says die. Literally. Wow. Because she ne- she dies and then she comes back and then, you know, whatever. I start listing weird things like that. <laughs> That'll be great. It, yeah, you'll find your best friend <laughs> slash best author. Um, yeah, so Laura came up and I'm, it was like she liked Netflix and beer and Buffy. And I was like, oh, this is this is the gal for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, this is um, so much better so, than that awful Match.com commercial playing on Hulu now. Um, so... You, you, why did you go with Laura? Um, if you had three options, presumably some of them were, um, all they were, you know, you only picked three people. They were all, some of them were also fits, I assume. I was also a brand new agent and didn't have a sale under my belt. Yeah. Um, Laura and I clicked the best. Like our phone call was, our first phone call was like literally two hours. I remember Where? I remember being on this phone call and I was in my old apartment and I was working from home at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were talking for so long. Like normally the call is like 45 minutes-ish. Mm-hmm. We were talking for so long that I like super awkwardly like had to try to like pee silently <laughs> while we were still talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wish, yeah that, no. I wish that I could say I've never done that. <laughs> Um, but unfortunately, I have done that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's called being a goddamn professional. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, yeah. I was already home, so, like, I didn't have pants to contend with because that would have just been a deal breaker right there. But, um. <laughs> yeah, I was just, like, pacing loops in my backyard. And it must have been early in the morning because we were in different time zones. So I remember, I did, you know, don't. P- PSA, don't smoke kids, but I smoked like an entire pack of cigarettes. Thank just, you for like, looking out for the children. Stuff. This is a this is a child friendly podcast. <laughs> You're goddamn right it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so I was just walking in loop, and I think by the end of the phone call, I had said something that I continue to say all the time, which is, "Do you want to just like have a sleepover and braid each other's hair?" The answer is and, yes. The answer yeah. is always yes, purely because I don't know how to braid my own hair. Mm. Oh yeah, we gotta we gotta work on that. Yeah, I so you know. had to hire a freelancer. My for arms it, get tired. <laughs> My arms get tired. So that that's our love story, and it's continued to this day, mostly in yeah. in the format of Tom Hiddleston gifts and a little bit of Doctor Who. Yep. Wonderful. Yay. So, so <laughs> um, in your you know, I guess I don't want to say your your real life because what you just told us was incredibly real. Um, but <laughs> you, you are a, you're, a, you're a librarian um, at a school, right? Yes, I am an elementary school librarian. My uh-huh. the school I work at right now is uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. Awesome. And so I imagine there's a lot of discussion about, you know, obviously reading and recommending books and things. Um, so, I mean, my first question really is, are you a good librarian and are you a cool librarian? Because I feel like those are probably two different things. Uh, describe, um, describe yourself as a librarian. Uh, I am probably more of a good librarian than a cool librarian. So like, it's not like I, kids like huffing glue in the, like the back shelf because you're. <laughs> what are what what is the like third grade equivalent of the stacks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, in college, you go to the stacks to, like, hook up. Like, what do you do? Like, do you go, like, play, like, 
paper football in the stacks if you're in third grade? Well, my library has a completely open floor plan. Bummer. So there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> Man. Um, but my students come in at recess to, like, color and finish their homework. Um, <laughs> do they read? Yes, they do read. They good. are they are literate children. <laughs> That's um, good. <laughs> but, yeah, I, like, I, I do. I am a shusher and... I, you know, if you're, if it's your library time, you got to sit quietly and not distract from the reading, which is probably less cool than if I was like, I don't know, we're going to have like a dance party. And I'm, I think, but like, yeah, yeah. I think it's good that librarians are shushers. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I was really mad because my librarian wasn't enough of a shusher. And I was like over in the corner, like without <laughs> friends trying to read whatever like picture book it was. And, you know, everyone else is like having a raucous old time. And I'm wondering where the authority was. And it never came when I needed it to. So. Why am I not surprised by a single <laughs> word of that story? Yeah. yeah uh, no, this is a very angry blonde child just sitting behind the hungry caterpillar. Yeah. Oh no. No, it was the hungry caterpillar. Yeah, man, I haven't thought I haven't thought about that book in forever. Man. Uh, it takes me back. But I have a question though. So if you're a shusher, I, I never actually thought about that. Like librarians equal like quiet environments. But everything I know about you is like loud musical theater, like uses their diaphragm to talk just like I do and get shushed a lot for it. Like, do people ever shush you? Would that be too um, yeah. meta? No, that's the thing about being the adult in the room. We're like, the kids have to be quiet. And, but like, it's like kids can't eat in the library. And you know, I do. Like I'm sitting there with like <laughs> coffee and a muffin and I'm like, you can't eat in here. Yeah. You take that orange outside. So you're saying I, that you guys I'm aren't equal. No, we're not. I mean, it's, it's the age old question, folks. It's uh, who shushes the shushman? <laughs> and... and and the answer Where's is ne the it's never. Who has the gong? <laughs> oh, we should does. hit the gong. We should. I do. Um, that was the wimpiest yeah, gong yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed it again. I can't hit the gong. Lori, take over. I'm taking over um, the gong. This but, is not appropriate. Um, so, <laughs> um, I want to ask about. Obviously, we like to come at some of this stuff from a book publishing angle, and you are someone who's in an arena that we aren't necessarily around a lot, which is like actual children reading books. And um, so I guess one thing I want to ask you is like, what can you tell us um, or what have you seen um, regarding like the way kids read or even what they read that like might surprise people who spend all their time amongst other adults, like making choices for, um, you know, making children's publishing decisions? Well, I, I all, everything. Yeah. Um, the number one thing that I see with my students that I don't think people in publishing would consider is that kids don't read back cover copy. You can tell them <laughs> to. Yeah. You can say, like, yeah. if you want to know what this book is about, yeah. you know, read this. They won't. Wait, they so how the do they pick page. books? Uh, covers and the first page. Huh. What? Well, okay, yeah, because, be, like, I, I read the, yeah. the hell out of some back cover copy when I was little. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I did. I think that, especially with things like genre, like they know they like fantasy or mysteries, and that's kind of enough. They'll ask me, like, "Is this a mystery?" And if it is, they're fine as long as their first page is kind of engaging. 
So like, what is like the little kid's best first page? Like the first page that always <laughs> will get a reader. Is it like you dragons? Know, I don't have, there's no like universal book. There are a couple books going around right now. Um, Wonder by RJ Palacio is huge. Mm-hmm. And every kid I, who's picked it up has read it all the way to the end, which is another thing. Kids generally don't finish books. Interesting. Um, they'll get like halfway through and feel accomplished, but they don't always feel compelled to read the end. It's like watching parts of a TV show and it's like, yeah, I kind of know where this is going. And it doesn't mean they didn't love it. They'll yeah. just set it down and like pick something else up. Is it that perhaps they want to feel like they they get to like finish it on their own terms? Because like I know that like I finish a lot of kids books and I'm just wrecked for like weeks literally okay actually that's a that's a question that i have um is because when i see a lot of um adults who are who work in either ya or children's lit and when they read when they read children's literature you get that response that laura just gave so much it's like they get wrecked and suddenly they're like sobbing over a children's story because there's a certain amount of like nostalgia or feeling associated with it like you there's like a huge you know it's a pretty common thing for adults reading children's literature to kind of really feel something and my question is do your do the kids like feel things like do are kids like sobbing in the library ever are there ever like strong responses to these books you know oh yeah certainly it's something that there's a phase between like fourth and sixth grade that kids go through pretty consistently where they will ask for sad books (laughs) what that's what they just go like i want a sad book and they don't, they don't care what kind of sad it is. It's just like they want to feel that feeling yeah. because it's not something that their media gives them. So like kids TV isn't like, here's a sad one. Like, <laughs> but books do and they can read stories that make that let them kind of tune into something that I think the world has been shielding them from otherwise. So when huh. they get to so, self-select, they want to be sad. Yeah. So what what is the your number one sad book? Uh, the Honest Truth by Dan. Oh, I'm gonna say his last name wrong. I think it's Geminhart. I believe you, uh, but I could be wrong. Which uh, if I am, sorry, Dan. We're we're Twitter friends. He's a great <laughs> dude. Um, but it's a book about a a boy who realizes that he has cancer and he Whoa. wants to. He wants to climb a mountain before he dies, and so he takes his dog to climb a mountain to like prove that he like can do something. And it there is, is no way that I could have handled that book as a kid. There's I, no way that I could handle that book now. <laughs> no, you you couldn't. Wait, it's, does it's, does it's, the dog die too? Because then I'm no. just like, okay. No, but that's the sort of thing where like the kids are like, oh my gosh, what if the dog dies? And there's something like I don't kind of elicited about that for them because yeah. like. You know, you remember the first time you read a book where the dog died. Like, we all have that book. Where the red fern grows. God damn it. (laughs) Anyway. I have a a fifth grade student right now who's reading Where the Red Red Fern Grows. And every time he's like, I'm a little bit farther, I have to, like, force a smile. Because he doesn't know yet. (laughs) I'm like, oh, this is... This is something that will traumatize you. Sorry. <laughs> You're like watching the childhood leave his face as he like turns the page. Yeah, yeah. exactly that. Man. Ouch. Well, 
Okay, so so kids like being sad, apparently. They and do. they also only read first pages. Uh-huh. Okay. So kind of beyond that, just in general, what what does book publishing get wrong about kids or young adult literature? Um length is a big pro- a big problem for middle grade. Hmm. Explain. Because, well, kids I I think there's this idea of what kids are supposed to be able to read by a certain age versus what we teach them to read. So like third graders are hitting a hundred pages for the first time normally. Like that's around the time that they're like, you know, I read a full 100 page book, but then you get to like great middle grade fiction, which is written for like fourth or fifth graders. And it's three to 400 pages long which is part of why kids aren't finishing them because mm. it's just sort of daunting. So once they do get through it, it's great, but it's hard when you have things that are aimed at a certain age level that they just yeah. can't reach. Yeah. That probably leads to what you're talking about with like the certain impulse to just be fine with setting it down after a certain length. Right. It's like, you kind of just right. go until you want to, and then why not find something else that's more interesting. Yeah, because reading is work for children. Like, they're sounding things out, and they're trying to remember their sight words. And, like, this is all pretty new, and we teach it to them in the span of, like, five years. And so 100 pages is, like, a real marathon for them. So getting to 400, like, there are particular kids who are in the market for a book that long. But your average student probably isn't. So what else are we wrong about? I'm curious about this because I actually represent like middle grade and YA. Well, I, I feel like there, I think the, where this question is coming from is just kind of this idea. And I've seen it in other kinds of publishing too where it's a bunch of people in a room who are pretty isolated from like the audience that they're talking about trying to figure out what that audience wants. Like oftentimes, you know, these publishing rooms, it's – a lot of people and like, you know, not that many of them have kids and none of them have really been to like a school library in a while. Like there's a, there's a big reason to think why or that um, lots of children's book publishing is, is less like focused on children and more just focused on like what sounds good to other adults. And so right. I can imagine there are some spots where it's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. And if someone would just like ask a fucking kid about it, like they would realize. <laughs> but... <laughs> No, I mean, like, there are things, like, as simple as covers. Yeah. Like, just the basic marketing where my kids see a see a book with a picture of a real child. Mm-hmm. Like, just your basic Getty image <clears throat> picture. And they're like, that's a kid. And they know what they look like. And it takes some of the work out of it for them. And they're more apt to pick it up. Because it looks like it's about real people. And so they want to pick it up as opposed to like an illustrated cover that can get too cerebral for them. And they're like, I don't know what that's supposed to be. No, interesting. Thank yeah. That that's actually probably a, I don't know if it's for this conversation, but that's probably another interesting thing. Like when do things like metaphoric covers or like symbols on books, like when does that really start to resonate? And like before that, is it just, you know, random pictures that don't really connect or evoke anything in kids' minds? And I, I can see why they would want like, a picture of a kid on a book because it's very literal and like frank, you know? Right. Hmm. Um, and the other thing is like commercial kids fiction where like adults, you know, sometimes 
at least I want to read something that's like not that difficult. You want to read something that's going to be contemporary and like have a happy ending and maybe it's a little tropey and maybe I'm describing my own books right now. But <laughs> Tropes are good. Tropes, tropes are, good. are great. Um, the kids really respond to kind of slice of life books mm-hmm. where they just, you know, like, it doesn't have to be heartbreaking every time. It doesn't have to be the most hilarious. Sometimes they're like, I read a book about a girl and her dog, and I liked it because I have a dog. And the dog like, doesn't die, right? The dog doesn't die. <laughs> Everything's okay. cool. Like, good. Like, horse books are still big. The Kids horse doesn't love- die, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. If horses Good. are, if the horse is happy, everyone's happy. If you like, mention an animal, I just like, especially about kids literature, I just have to cut in because, like, the first book that ever made me cry was Black Beauty, and I'm still not okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a rough one. I'm so, still so not okay. <laughs> but that's the thing, like, happy animal books. Like, there's a series called The Puppy Place by Ellen Miles, who I believe was a Babysitter's Club ghostwriter. Um, and she also does a series called Kitty Corner. And it's just about kids and, like, a puppy and a kitty. And, like, kids go crazy for them. Like, I've had students who read, who've read the whole series, like, 30 books, and they're just like, more puppies! And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm trying to it think. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah, that's interesting. I too want more puppies. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was gonna say like that sounds like a publishing strategy for me too. Like really, <laughs> uh, at the end, at the end of the day, all of us, all any of us, really want are <laughs> more puppies. puppies. Um, yeah. I was thinking as you guys were kind of talking about like um, being, you know, sad at your first book or like you know these kids kind of learning to read with certain stuff. And the image that key, I was trying to think like, okay, what did I learn to read with? And I can't really remember any of the titles besides like the big famous ones like you know the hungry caterpillar and things like that but i think that i reading finally clicked for me around halloween during whatever year it was because every book i have in my head from my childhood is like all like witches and pumpkins and like things like that so it's like i have this weird association with learning to read with like halloween which is kind of strange i feel like i needed to um, branch out a little, but I, I needed that. I needed that good pumpkin content. <laughs> yeah, kids get really obsessed with holiday books. Yeah, like it doesn't matter the time of year. There's always a kid who's like, I want to read about Christmas, and it's like, okay, because again, it's just like it's a feeling they understand. Like right. Christmas is like an exciting time. Halloween is an exciting time. So you know the content's probably going to be something that's for you because you're like i already like halloween talk to me about candy and pumpkins like so (laughs) it's a it's a good in are there halloween books for younger kids or not halloween valentine's day oh you can't have that Um, only the cool librarians give those out not the (laughs) (laughs) i can't think of any recent ones which like like i know i have arthur's valentine and there are always books that are like Everyone got a Valentine but me. Oh, wait, someone gave me a Valentine. That's basically just that episode of The Simpsons with Ralph, but with animals. (laughs) I believe that I have read Arthur's Valentine. I have, too. And then they're at the movie theater. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they go to the the movie, movie right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the kiss, kiss, and it's the Hershey's kiss, and he thinks it's going to be a real kiss. Yeah, that was serious. Good. Wow, that's deep-seated. <laughs> Respect for that one. Wow. <laughs> Sorry if we spoiled that book for you, listeners. Dear um, listeners. Yeah. So, <laughs> man, I can't believe that I remember Arthur's Are your kids upset by the fact that Arthur is supposed to be an aardvark and doesn't look like one? 
They, I've had this questioned a couple times because Arthur originally looked more like an aardvark. He had a big uh, phallus-like nose for the first couple books, <laughs> and it just kept shrinking back, which is also terrifying. The, so the phallus book, nose kept shrinking. Yes, yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, and so if you read the books out of order, they're like, why does he look like this? And it's like, well, he was, he is an aardvark, but like, he didn't like it so they made him look different and dw was kind of never an aardvark and so they just they're just like whatever like he i think they think he's a bear because he's got little ears he does look like a bear he looks like a bear i'm picturing right now for whatever reason like someone like very sad like coming home to his family and having to explain that he got fired because he made arthur's nose look too much like a dick <laughs> I'm very sad for whoever that was. Um. I'm sure that Mark Brown, the writer of the yeah. Arthur series, yeah, yeah. is so busy rolling around in his money yeah. that the dick nose is the last thing on his mind. He's just like <laughs> indecent proposaling himself, rolling around in a giant bed of money. Mm-hmm. And good for him. Possibly with real aardvark. What? No, I don't know. No, then he'd have to have ants, and that's not good. You don't want ants. Yeah. Um, That's so... true. <laughs> if I've learned anything from Archer, it's how you get ants and why you don't want them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so steering it steering it to publishing uh, once more. And this can be – and this question I think can relate either to kind of what you see with regard to children publishing and the kids you're helping you know, find books or um, your own experience now being a published and established author – um, having gone through kind of the query process or in the publishing process, um, what's the one thing you would change about your publishing experience or that you see happening in publishing if you could? I mean, not to get like too deep into things, but sure. I mean, we have a real diversity problem yeah. in publishing. Um, like my my next book comes out in November and there's a black girl on the cover and mm-hmm. I have not seen any other black girl covers being released this year and i'm like we're already two and a half months into 2017 and i kind of keep looking around and so just kind of top to bottom from the people who are working in publishing houses to agents to authors like it's a real white crowd (laughs) sorry Um, no we've talked about that (laughs) no we've talked about that on the show a lot i i I agree that that's a um a big issue and it's a it's a complicated one to some extent but sometimes it isn't you know (laughs) it'll be it'll be exciting you know like speaking as somebody who's you know intimately familiar with this particular book that lily's referring to um not now not ever it'll be exciting to see how much of the rhetoric and how much of the reviews surrounding this book are going to be about i picked this up because there's a black girl on the cover yeah um and there's a black girl on the cover, but there's also like a super like, n- you know, like boy next door looking white guy because there's an interracial romance in this. And I don't know. I, you is, know, it'll... is the cover released? Like, yes, can we... it's out. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, maybe we can link to that afterward. I'd be yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, we did. We did a, a cover reveal a couple months ago. Who knows? Awesome. I don't know. All time. All time blends together in, in Minnesota <laughs> winter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Like I hope more people will pick up the book. Yeah. Crossing oh, my yeah, fingers. Same. But I also hope that more people just write books. Like I'm super thankful that I get to write books. Um but also 
like as like I'm a mixed race girl who was blonde in her first author photo and I'm like I don't know how far I would have gotten if I looked more black or Puerto Rican both of which I am but like there's some passing privilege there and so I'm hoping to that other people who don't have that will get more work in our industry because those stories are so valuable and working with like working with kids I have to really I have to work really hard to make sure that our shelves are diverse and middle grade is I think doing a better job than YA right now at putting out diverse titles really kind of across the board why I mean why do you think that is I mean it's okay if you don't know the answer (laughs) well I have like four books about trans children that came out in the last couple years as opposed to YA where I'm like, I can list maybe two or three, but one or two that actual trans people would be on board with. Like Hmm. a lot of books that are getting published in YA, it's like writing outside your lane and not doing a great job, which is why we're always talking about sensitivity readers and middle grade is, I think well, because it's such a delicate thing of like, what are we giving our ch- our children? Yeah. Like, I think they're keeping more of an eye on it. And teenagers are still children. Like, we still have to kind of take care of them and make sure that what we're giving them isn't hurting them. Even though in their fiction, only the teenagers know that the government is wrong and that they're <laughs> the ones changing it. They're the only right. ones. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's really as great our to first finally guest. talk to you. Yeah, yeah. I know. Thank you for having me. Normally, it, I'm listening to you guys while I eat lunch on Tuesday. So, oh, well, um, this will be this will be an interesting uh, case of just awful vanity while I'm probably <laughs> sitting at my desk and like I'll just listen to what I wasn't in, and then I hear my own lovely sinus infection voice but it's like deep and sexy and kind of mysterious so i'm here for it i mean like isn't it always (laughs) it is (laughs) it is well remember um listeners that lily is giving away a signed hardcover of the only thing worse than me wait the only thing worse than me is you no did i get it wrong again no, that's the okay. right one, but, like, way to remember the book title. Yeah, okay, Well, okay, you guys, this book went through literally three <laughs> titles, and so when I text Lily about it still, or, like, I'm referring to it, I still refer to it by its original name, and I probably shouldn't do that. Anyway. Oh, I, do the same, I do the same thing because it's shorter. Yeah, the original title, it doesn't matter what it was. I don't want to confuse any of you because clearly I'm already confused. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> so she's giving away a signed copy of The Only Thing Worse Than Me Is You, and our raffle copter is live right now. Go to us on Facebook or on Twitter um, or ask one of us about how to enter. Spoiler alert, it's easy. You just have to follow and like. Um, and we will be announcing the winner on next week's show. Mm-hmm. So sorry for all of the people that aren't in the United States. Um, we want it to get to you eventually. So we're 
making this just for people in the United States, but maybe we can do an ebook at yeah, some we'll point. Figure it out. Yeah. yeah, we'll do an ebook at some point. Anyway, Lily, thank you so much for joining us. It was lovely to hear your wonderful sinus infection sexy voice. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks for having me. Lovely thanks for to coming be on, here. Lily. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed the interview we did uh, with Lily Anderson. But why don't we finish up with the standard pub tip? Excellent. Well, so this week, Eric and I were both at a conference where we took in-person pitches. And, and so our pub tip will revolve around that. Really, it's important that if you're talking to somebody in person, whether, you know, it's an agent at a conference in the bar or you're standing next to them or you pay for time, um, that when you pitch to them, you treat them like conversations. You know, it's it, it always is really sad to me when somebody sits down across from me and they've paid for 10 minutes of my time and all they do is read or recite their query letter. Yeah. It's like you can just send that to me for free in an email. Right. I really want to have a conversation and engage with you about what the book is. I want, you know, I, I, I want to talk to you and I want to be able to ask you questions and I want – you know, I, I want more details because there's more time for details in well, an and, event and like that. It, it takes advantage of being in person, you know, like that it's, it's basic human communi- communication, like a pitch or a query. That's not like how people actually talk. You know, that's like meant to give you information. But when so when you do finally get a chance to like have a basic human conversation with someone, you should make it like that and not just make it a pitch, which is, you know, a less effective um, I mean, obviously, there's obviously a little bit of pitching that has to go on, but um, the point is to actually connect with someone, and the way you do that is not by reading something off a sheet, you know? Yeah. Like, eye contact is great. <laughs> um, you know, I I always like to throw people off their game by asking questions and stopping them and making them rewind or explain or something, um, and, and really because it just loosens you up. And so, you know, we're good enough at small talk about this where just – just have a conversation. Typically, you've got a full 10 minutes and just and just use it and be a person. With that, I'd like to thank you for joining us on this, the 17th episode of Print Run, mm-hmm. but also the first with a guest. It was really exciting, and we were so happy you could join us. Remember, our first pages show goes live next Thursday, February 23rd. Send us your first pages at printrunpodcast at gmail.com and watch out for the giveaway. Bye. <laughs>